The following is a hoop ball presentation. Hey oh, hey oh! It's Wednesday. It's Fantasy NBA today. I am your host, Dan Bespris, working on. For some reason, adjusted sound settings on my computer. It seems like I've got everything under control right now. And so, we'll just roll right along into the show. This is a hoop ball presentation. You can find me on Twitter at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. You can also follow Hoopball at Hoopball Fantasy. Or the website is, of course, hoop-ball.com. Latest things going on over at Hoopball headquarters. A Michael Porter Jr. article just went up. Uh, last night, I believe, late last night. So that's one of the latest things to uh, to pop up on the feed. We had the continuing saga of our theoretical expansion draft, a really cool thing that the live show guys have been putting on now for a couple of weeks. Uh, last time it was Surio, William, and Santino to continue the process. They're going to be protecting players on the Bulls, Hornets, Cavs, and Mavs as they kind of walk everybody through how an expansion would take place if such a thing were going to happen in the NBA anytime soon. Really cool stuff. Steve broke down the Utah Jazz yesterday as well, so that's your latest stuff going on over at HoopBall. Would strongly recommend checking that stuff out. Across the HoopBall landscape on the podcast side, of course, Devin Ellington has the HoopBall gaming pod continuing to rumble along. He talked to our HoopBall Bulls host, that's Greg Mraz, about The Last Dance, the Pac-12, and other fun stuff. That's the latest episode of uh, Today in Sports Betting. Brandon Marcus over on Hoopball Clippers Network had Brian Seaman, the voice of the Clippers, on the show. That's really cool to talk to their TV play-by-play guy about broadcasting, being on the call for huge comebacks, L.A. teams being good, The Last Dance, really great stuff there as well. And, of course, Lyle Swithenbank, our Pelicans blo- uh, beat podcaster, talked to ESPN's Andrew Lopez on this week's show over at Hoopball Pell. So that's just, there's stuff, man. We got stuff coming out of our ears over at Hoopball. Just because everything is shut down doesn't mean we are. And so we rumble along. And it brings me to that last early show point of, if you want to get involved with us over here at Hoopball, hit me up again. That's at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. We are always looking for folks to uh, cover additional teams. If you think you can be a podcaster for a team, to cover the fantasy side, and certainly on the sales side. If you're a wizard on the phones, bug me. That means we got spots, and I want to see what you guys can do. We finish up the Central Division today as our uh, postmortems continue. I am, by the way, excited to say that we'll be talking to Brandon Marcus on this podcast later this week, so we'll do a little episode on uh, lessons learned for Brandon from this season gone by, among other things that we'll talk about. That'll probably be Friday's show. So today and tomorrow... We'll finish up the Central Division, and we'll embark upon the Atlantic Division. That'll be tomorrow's show. We'll take a look at the first team out east. The only team we haven't talked about in the Central Division right now is the Detroit Pistons. And I'll admit, I left them to dead last because, well, they had a little bit of a different look at the end of the year than they did at the beginning. Namely, Blake Griffin went down after just 18 games this year and never returned, shooting a robust 35% from the field. Yeesh. Uh, And then Andre Drummond was traded 
halfway through the season to the Cleveland Cavaliers in a trade that netted Detroit basically nothing in return. They got John Henson, who, as many of you remember, was a Dan Bespris fantasy crush about four years ago, but it's been a long time since he did anything. And then Brandon Knight, who somehow saw significant playing time for a couple of ball games, and that was largely because the rest of the Detroit's backcourt was out. So the question going forward for this team is, number one, you have to be really careful in assessing who's even going to be on the team next year, right? Like, we're looking at a team that is going into a pretty hard rebuild mode, and that means that things are going to skew in a different direction. So we have to make all of our fantasy assessments with that very critical thing in mind. And so the first thing we're going to do in today's show is to look at who Detroit might actually field next year. And the best way to do that is just to look at what the team's got contractually going on. And you can see it from top to bottom, and you have a pretty quick assessment of who they actually want to have on the team going forward. But without even getting into who may or may not get re-signed, and by the way, they did. They also traded or released, I don't remember if they traded or released a Morris brother at some point this year, you... you you look at everybody. So the Detroit Pistons team contracts is probably what you want to do as you're Google searching while listening to this podcast, because there's no way you're going to remember the things that I'm saying when we get to the end of the show. But if you have the stuff in front of you, pull it up. Basketball Monster, or excuse me, uh, Basketball Reference, I should say, does a wonderful job of outlining what the team's contractual situation looks like. A lot of money comes off the books for Detroit next year. Andre Drummond in the trade came off the books, and then because they got John Henson and Brandon Knight, those two guys combined for about $25 million. Uh, yeah, about $25 million in contracts between the two of them, and they're done. Those are expiring deals. So $25 million, done. Uh, Langston Galloway's $7 million deal contract comes off the books. Don Maker has a $4 million deal that if they want to let that disappear, they can do that. The only players that are definitely on contract for next year are Blake Griffin at a ugh, embarrassingly high $37 million. Derek Rose, who signed a two-year, roughly $15 million deal. Actually, I think it was 15 on the nose. Luke Kennard who's finishing up his initial contract next year at $5 million. Sekou Dumbuya, whose rookie contract is just finally starting to get going at $3.5 million. Uh, and then they have, I believe, non-guaranteed options on guys like Bruce Brown, uh, Svi Mikhailiuk, Karai Thomas, if I'm not, I don't, I may not, I'm probably mispronouncing that one, but I, I sort of don't care. Um, the players that were on the Pistons this year that ended up, Elsewhere, Reggie Jackson, his contract was waived, and so they're not going to have to deal with that next season, although I think his contract is up anyway. Markeith Morris's obscenely low deal, that came off the books. So while the Pistons paid $130 million to their roster this season, the salary, the expected salary right now of next year's Pistons team is $70 million. Now, we have to put a few other things in our mind. Number one on that is the Pistons are going to be trying to retain Christian Wood. Christian Wood made almost no money this year. The Pistons 
made him work for his playing time, which is always in the modern NBA. That's you're rolling the dice a tiny bit by not giving a player an opportunity. But at the end of the day, they did let him play. They cleared out the front court and let Christian Wood finally cut loose. But he is a free agent, which means a lot of people saw what he did this year. And if Detroit or if he or his agent or anyone feels like the team was artificially depressing his value by not turning him loose until later in the year, well, that could be some small sour grapes. They may really just have to offer him the most money. I got to think that he's going to be seeing a pretty good contract, even with the fact that the salary cap is likely to come down a fair amount. I don't know if there's going to be smoothing or how they're going to pull this thing off with the lost revenue and blah, blah, blah. It's not my area of expertise. But they want to keep him. They want Christian Wood. I think they'd like to play him alongside Blake Griffin. Have Wood in there, who's not a really a banger per se, but he is uh, seven, eight years younger than Blake Griffin. His limbs can handle the day-to-day a little bit better than Blake Griffin's, but who can't right now? And so that'll put a few bucks back on their salary if indeed they do go out there and, and spend enough to retain him. Otherwise, I don't know that these these are guys that they're going to be shelling out for. Like, I don't think that Detroit feels like they need to retain Thon Maker, although I guess he makes sense as a backup big man on a rebuilding team. Are they going to be trying for a free agent this offseason? I doubt it. I mean, this is a team that's rebuilding. I'm sure they'd like to unload Blake Griffin, but dang, that's going to be hard to do because... Well, he has a player option for $39 million, not even for this coming season, but for the following one, which he's almost definitely going to exercise given his declining game and declining ability to stay upright. So that's a tough contract to move this year. Uh, Presumably, he'll take that player option next season, 2021 to 2022 uh, NBA calendar year. Uh, And then they'd probably be able to trade him that way. So you're probably looking at at least a two-year rebuild process for Detroit, meaning you want to lock in the young guys that you're excited about. They like Luke Kennard. He's on contract this coming season, but maybe they try to extend him. They like Sekou Dumbuya. He's likely to see an uptick in minutes and probably responsibility. Uh, and, and of course, they like Christian Wood, who we just mentioned a moment ago, but a free agent. So mm, we shall see on that side of things. So let's pivot back now to the fantasy side of this and what it all means going forward. Well, the best way to analyze the Detroit Pistons season is to look at their last 15 to 20 games. That doesn't give a perfect snapshot of what went on this year, but it certainly gives a better look than taking the entire season uh, as a whole. Because if you look at the full season for Detroit this year, uh, and obviously you have to wipe out the likes of Andre Drummond, You have Christian Wood at number 115 because he wasn't playing that many minutes. Derrick Rose sitting just outside the top 100 because of his good start. Luke Kennard is a top 100 guy. And, uh, well, Blake Griffin played, if you look at the full season. If you look at the last three months, you've got Christian, or excuse me, I shouldn't say last three months, but yeah, basically that's what we're looking at here uh, three months from now. But more or less their last 15 to 20 games. Christian Wood was a top 50 player over that stretch. Derrick Rose was in body maintenance mode, and he was a top 150 player over that stretch. Bruce Brown was the next highest ranked guy at number 156. And then you really get into the dregs. You get the uh, who can give me zeros across the board, but at least it's zero turnovers. And that's Tony Snell at 160. 
Langston Galloway, Svi Mikhailiuk, Don Maker, John Henson, Brandon Knight. I mean, it gets real ugly. And then you get all the way down near the bottom, and you got at 353, Sekou Dumbuya, who everybody was telling me I needed to pick up this season, and I said, I don't know, guys. 19-year-olds don't go from getting DNPs to getting 30 minutes a game and just become a rockin' fantasy asset. And sure enough, uh, he got obliterated after a couple of games. He just he couldn't hang in there with the sort of big bodies of the NBA. But that was this year. Let's turn the page and instead look at what we think is going to happen going forward. Because to me, this is one of those teams where it... it Honestly, I think it's one of the teams where you see the biggest changes to fantasy season over season. Let's make our lives easy and, well, I don't know if anything we can do with this team is going to make our lives easy, but let's make our lives as easy as we can and let's start with the obvious one. If Detroit retains Christian Wood, who, by the way, is a coronavirus survivor, he's going to be playing a crap ton of minutes. A crap ton of minutes. He's going to be seeing the bulk of of their action at center, there's no reason not to do it. If you re-sign him and give him big money, you play him. I don't know that he's going to be getting quite the usage he got at the very end of the season if Blake Griffin is back and actually playing with the team, but over the team's last 10 games, he was taking 16 shots a night and averaged 24 and 10 with a steal and a block and is actually a top 20 fantasy asset. That's probably uh, mildly unsustainable. Top 20 is going to be very difficult, but let's be honest here. Christian Wood is going to be one of the most hyped fantasy players going into next season's draft segment of time. We've seen this type of stuff before, and I would say the most recent example of something not that dissimilar from this is Bam Adebayo, who was playing largely a backup role and overtook Hassan Whiteside, before everybody knew he was going to get 35 minutes a game this season, he actually got near his mark. On a per-game basis, he was uh, ever so slightly behind where he was getting drafted, but Adebayo showed himself to be incredibly durable, and so by totals, he actually blew way past his ADP. Thing is, I don't know that he's the rule. To me, he's more the exception when you talk about hype guys. When you talk about particularly the early draft hype guys. Those are the ones that I really wanted to to note as we assess Christian Wood this coming year. Uh, early draft hype guys, Mitchell Robinson, Zion Williamson, were clearly two of them. Uh, you could probably put Luca and Trey in that, and, and they got closer, at least, to, to hitting their marks, Trey more so than Luca. Um, what other early round hype. Jaron Jackson Jr. was probably an earlier round hype guy. Adebayo was an earlier round hype guy. It's really hard to hit your marks when you, you're getting driven up the charts like that. And so, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr., like, he, he was well behind his mark. And he had an okay season by all accounts. He's number 65, but he just kept getting pushed higher and higher and higher, and he was getting drafted in the 30s and early 40s. And Bam Adebayo, who also ended up having a really, really good season, finished at number 39 in nine category leagues with, of course, the big bump because of totals. He was getting drafted up near that spot. And, and it's hard to contend with that. And so my fear for next year, and, and we won't know this until we actually get closer to draft season, 
My fear with a guy like Christian Wood, which is a shame, too, because uh, he was just finally hitting a stride, and then the season got its plug pulled on it here. I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll get to see a few more games. Who knows? My fear is that he's really could be a top 40 guy next season, but he's probably going to get drafted in the 40s. And so we have to kind of figure out if it's worth it. Can I really convince myself to spend a third or fourth round pick on this guy where there's still a lot of question marks around him? And he may end up with another team. It's possible Detroit isn't able to re-sign him. I'm going to assume that they do and try everything to bring him back as kind of one of their young building blocks going forward. Uh, can he average 24 and 10 for an entire season? It's unlikely. It's, it, it's a load on someone who's never had to do it for more than 10 to 15 games in a row. So, you know, I'm looking at a guy like Christian Wood, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, this, is, this guy's got a top 50 season in him going forward, at least on a per-game, nine-category basis. But if he's getting drafted at 45, that sure does wipe out a lot of the upside unless he somehow plays 100% of the games next year. And I just don't see that happening. And so for that reason, while I'd love to have Christian Wood on all of my fantasy teams next year, I rather doubt that I'm going to be able to pull it off. I rather doubt it. Uh, Derek Rose, we know, is going to be back with the Pistons next year, although he is absolutely a candidate to be traded midseason on an expiring deal, $7 million. You know there's going to be a team next year that needs a proven scorer. He's probably someone you consider taking towards the end of your draft, just kind of the way that uh, we did so this year, as you know, draft him in the 130 range. No one's really going to be eyeballing him. He had a decent season, got off to a really nice start when Blake Griffin was out. Uh, and actually did even more when Luke Kennard was out. Um, but they, they pulled the plug on his minutes as the season went along, and, and there's sort of no reason to think they're going to give him heavy minutes next year when they're really kind of turning and leaning into the rebuild. He doesn't make sense as a guy you're going to play large minutes. And if he's not getting large minutes, he needs shots. He needs to be going out there and rolling up usage and assists and I just don't know that he can crack the top 140 next year. But he is certainly worth a look in that 130-140 range because, like, look, this is a guy that's shown he can do it. He did it early this season. He takes a lot of shots. There are a few guys in that 130 range of a draft that can score 17, 18, 19 points a game and get you good free throw percent uh, on pretty good field goal percent. And, and so he can buoy you a little bit, even if he's a net negative overall. Because everybody drafted in that range is pretty much a net negative overall. So that's where I'm looking for Derrick Rose, and I don't think you'll have a ton of competition to try to scoop him up. I can't believe I'm saying this, but we might finally get a season where Blake Griffin is a tiny value on Fantasy Draft Day. And I probably still won't do anything uh, to pick him up in fantasy drafts. Value or no value, I don't know how you can convince yourself to take Blake Griffin. It's it's such a roll of the dice, given his ridiculous injury history. He had really one season, one season, where he was not super banged up recently. And it was still only okay from a fantasy standpoint. And that was last year. Last year, Blake Griffin played 75 of their 82 games. He was number 65 in nine category leagues because, and listen to me very carefully here, he doesn't do anything on defense. His field goal and free throw percent have relatively been poor, and he turns the ball over a bunch. This is someone who helps your team 
in points, in assists. He passes well for a big man. We'll give him credit where credit's due. Uh, and lately, three-pointers, which is crazy. I'll note one thing on the Blake Griffin front. If indeed he is back as their starting power forward and he's going to log pretty heavy minutes because he's going to be really tough to trade and I don't know what the hell else they're going to do with him. I think he's going to be throwing it into cruise control a little bit this year, but I also realize that he's going to be their number one offensive option. And there's a little bit of that early career Kevin Love thing that could shake out here where there's just, you know, a team wants to rebuild a little bit, but they've got this one dude and, you know, got to put fans in the arena somehow. You know, you well, you say that knowing full well we might not have fans in the arenas. Ugh. Say it out loud and it feels so much worse. But he needs to he needs to sell the team from a marketing standpoint, even if it's not actual butts in seats in their new arena. It's people tuning in, so the networks will pay for the feed, and advertisers will pay for space. It's having someone on billboards. It's making people pay attention in some capacity, and he's that guy because the layperson doesn't care who Christian Wood is. The layperson knows Blake Griffin and Derrick Rose. And so those guys are going to have to be on the floor for some stretch of time. And I realize Blake Griffin, if he's out there playing starters minutes, he's going to take 15, 16, 17 shots a game, and he's going to get five or six assists, and he's going to get probably eight rebounds a game because Andre Drummond is gone now. And the guy hoovering every rebound on the floor, I mean, Andre Drummond was averaging 16 rebounds a game this year. That leaves a lot of boarding to do. And don't tell me Christian Wood's going to get all 16 of those if he does re-sign in Detroit. Some of those are going to fall to the power forward. So I think there's a universe here where Blake Griffin actually has a top 60 per game fantasy season. The question is, you know, what percentage of games is he actually going to hit? Is he going to get to 75% of his team's games? If so, you probably get see him drafted in the 60s or 70s this coming year, and maybe that's a worthwhile leap of faith. But even then... Even then, this guy has done so much over the years to make us all just write him off completely. There's just this little tiny window because he had such a terrible season and the injury and the poor performance and the team being awful that I think folks might just kind of forget about him a little bit. And you're going to see a lot of scoring and you're going to see rebounding and you're going to see assists and you're going to see threes. And if he doesn't kill you too much, in field goal and free throw percent, he could turn himself into a sort of late mid-round guy. Question, of course, then becomes, where does he get drafted? I could be way off here. I mean, people could still draft him at 55 because his name is Blake Griffin. And if that's the case, oh, he is radioactive anywhere near that range. But, you know, and, and he went in the 60s in a lot of drafts this year if he really does fall beyond that, then he actually falls into that, and we talked about it on Monday's show, he falls into that sort of second-tier falling proven guys that in competitive leagues, you're probably taking in that 70 to 80 range, and in slightly less competitive leagues, maybe you get Blake Griffin at 80. He might not be a top 100 guy this year, but there aren't that many guys you can take in the 80 to 100 range, that can do what he can do as a lead offensive option. And so by no means, I need to stress this a thousand times over, by no means, by no means 
am I saying you should be trying to draft Blake Griffin. But by all means, I am saying we should be paying very close attention to what his ADP looks like this coming fantasy draft season. Because I could see it potentially finally taking the hit it so richly deserved to take many seasons back. This might be that year. And if indeed this is that year, you may have a guy floating around at pick 75 to 85 that could legitimately average 22 eight and a half and five and a half. And if you average 22, nine and five, even if a lot of your other stuff is hot garbage, you're still a decent fantasy player. Luke Kennard is the next name I want to talk about on the Detroit Pistons because he, by all accounts, was shaping up to actually have a pretty good beginning and end. He had the inverted hamburger of a season where the meat was on the outside and the, the soggy... Uh, tin foil wrapped, left in a warm car, gross bun was in the middle, where Kennard got off to a rip-roaring start this year. First handful of games, he was posting top 50 value. That was with Blake Griffin out. Griffin came back. Kennard's role was marginalized, and then he got hurt. Bilateral knee issues ended up missing about two and a half months in the middle of the year. Uh, was expected here to play a little bit down the stretch. I don't think they were going to be pushing him too hard because, you know, what the heck was the point? But he probably was poised to have a pretty decent finish because they still kind of want to see what he can become. I think they have, I think we have a pretty good idea of what he can become and he didn't have a chance to do it. So his season ended on December the 21st. Kennard, fast start, slow, middle, potential fast finish that was wiped off the board. And so when you break him down this year, I do think it's uh, it's relevant to mention the usage that appears with Andre Drummond gone. Because I, there's going to be this, this I think there's going to be a desire to say that anytime Blake Griffin is on the floor, that all of these other guys are going to be unable to hit fantasy value. But I, I, I think that some of that was also the Andre Drummond effect. So let's say Luke Kennard doesn't get his 13, 14 shots a game that he was able to net early in the season, and he's much closer to the 9 to 12 shots a game that he was posting in kind of his quieter middle section of the year, you're probably looking at a guy that basically put up the numbers he had for the full season, which is about 12 and a half shots a game, a little less than that, two and a half three-pointers, mostly scoring, handful of rebounds and assists, nothing at all on the defensive end. I mean, you have to actually work pretty hard to do as little defensively as Luke Kennard does. Very good foul shooter and low turnovers. He has all the makings of a hundred top 100, top 115 plodding type. There's a little bit of upside with Kennard where perhaps they give him more of a leadership role this coming year. But that's the only way I see this changing much for Luke. He's not a primary playmaker. He's a good shooter. As we've seen from the, all the three-pointers, uh, on the percentage that doesn't completely obliterate your team, he's a very good free-throw shooter. The way Luke Kennard slides into better, better fantasy value, and the reason that you might draft him super late and hope that he can kind of hang on to top 100 numbers for a while, is largely because you then hope Derek Rose and or Blake Griffin get moved next year. We already talked about how hard it's going to be to move Blake Griffin this coming season. Derrick Rose feels like a pretty easy player to move next year. 
expiring $7.5 million contract, bench score, plenty of teams are going to want that guy. So I would expect Derrick Rose, I'll call it a 50-50 shot to get traded, which in, in normal parlance, that's a really high probability. Like people talk about, is a guy going to get traded? And you say, yeah, he probably will. When you say probably will, you don't really mean probably in the, you know, greater than 50% chance. If someone's probably or should get moved the way Derrick Rose should get moved next year to a contender, you still put it about 50-50 because they're going to want to get something back and who knows what teams are going to be willing to part with. Who knows what teams might want the bench score? Are they going to be ones that feel like they can make a championship run? Maybe they get a second-round pick. I mean, Detroit ended up taking a bag of potato chips for Andre Drummond this year, but they got out from under his player option this coming season, and that apparently was more than enough. With Rose, there isn't that financial obligation attached to him. They would, I think, really like to get a pick. And some teams are going to be stingy with that sort of stuff. But let's assume, for argument's sake, someone does go out there and trade for Derrick Rose next year. Well, all of a sudden... Derrick Rose, who's going to take a bunch of shots when he comes off the bench. He's going to play 24 minutes, and he's going to take 14 shots. Some of those are going to Luke Kennard. That's shooting guard, point guardy minutes that Luke is going to be a part of. And even if his minutes don't change much after Rose potentially gets traded, his 12 shots become 13, almost without question, or his 11 becomes 12. Whatever it is, it's going to go up by probably 15%. Then you've got a guy that can squeeze inside the top 100 because with Kennard, it's all about volume. When you don't rebound, when you don't assist all that much, when you don't steal or block shots, you need volume. You need to score, hit threes, get to the free throw line. You need to capitalize on the things that you are better than average at. And if he's given up all of his shots to Blake and Wood and Rose, and you're the fourth option... That ain't enough. So would I draft him? Probably not. Probably not. But my drafts go 180 deep. Would I take him at round 15 if I got pick 176 and he's still on the board? Yeah, absolutely. Because at pick 176, if you get a guy that's hovering at number 110 for three months and maybe you plug him in there when he's going against bad defenses, if you're in a games cap format, or maybe he's doing enough for you in a weekly format where he could actually be useful all season long. Or, you know, maybe it's a head-to-head unlimited games type of deal where he's plodding along and scoring 15 points a game and getting you a couple of threes. That's a guy you can run out there every day until maybe they go deeper into the rebuild, and that's when everybody catches a little bit more fire. And that brings us to... uh, perhaps the last name that we'll talk about, and that's the non-guaranteed contract of Bruce Brown, who actually ended up looking pretty good towards the end of the year. Now, his fantasy numbers were never going to translate because he's an intensely low-usage guy. But we saw Bruce Brown, who was dealing with his own various nagging injuries, put up some pretty good-looking fantasy lines when he was given the minutes and kind of given the point guard duties. So he also fits the mold of someone that would see a pretty big spike if Derrick Rose got traded away midseason because you could see Bruce Brown on the floor for 35 minutes and he might put up 9.6 rebounds and 4 assists. That's not enough. If you get rid of Derrick Rose, he might still play 30-something minutes a game, but the 4 assists become 6 assists and now you've got a player. Now you've got a guy with 1.5 steals 
10 points, six rebounds, six assists, one and a half steals, a three-pointer, not killing you in percentages. I ain't sitting on that all season long. That's the kind of thing you might look as a grab near the all-star break or a grab if Rose and Kennard both go down at some point in the year for Detroit. I'm not drafting Bruce Brown, but he is a guy that I would keep an eye on throughout the course of the season. Why am I telling you this in May of 2020 when next season probably isn't even going to start till November or December? I don't know. We just like to be thorough. The very last question, and I'm not even going to break down his game because it's kind of not worth it, but the very last question that needs answering on Detroit is, will Sekou Dumbuya play enough to be fantasy relevant? And the answer is, I don't think so. I don't think so. He might very well be their starting small forward, but with Wood re-signed, if they can do it, with Derrick Rose in existence, probably taking a bunch of shots off the bench, with Luke Kennard on the floor, and most importantly, with Blake Griffin playing, probably, I just don't see how Dumbuya does enough with these slightly older guys to be fantasy relevant. I mean, even when he was on the floor for big minutes this year, Dumbuya was sniffing fantasy value, but never really got there. I'd rather just watch. I'd rather just wait and see on that one. That's one of those ones where you're like, well, is it an upside play? Um, I'd rather take a shot on someone who we know has a better fantasy game. And I know what you're thinking, Dan. Are you serious you wouldn't take him at pick 180? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'd take him at pick 180 because I'm probably going to be dropping that guy anyway. But truth be told, I mean, we went through the draft results on one of our lessons learned episodes, and there were guys drafted in that 15th round of the leagues that I was talking about that actually ended up having fantasy value this year. Rashawn Holmes went in the 15th round. Uh, Marcus Morris went in the 15th round. There were actual legitimate options because you looked and you're like, okay, massive fantasy game, Rashawn Holmes, if he gets turned loose. Marcus Morris expecting to play huge minutes. Why would he go to New York if they weren't going to give him gigantic minutes? Uh, even if you look at the 14th round, DeAndre Jordan, Norman Powell, Will Barton, these guys were all going in those rounds. Would, would I take Dembuya over someone like, I don't know, Ish Smith? Yeah, absolutely. Because no matter how many minutes Ish plays, he still didn't have fantasy value. Would I take him over someone like Reggie Jackson? Yeah. From looking back at this year. Guys that went in that 170, 180 range. Would I take him over uh, Rajon Rondo or Monty Morris? Or, or I mean, these are guys that are going in that 150 to 180 range. Yes, I would take a shot on a young guy that maybe makes a giant leap forward over someone that we know... Even if they got big minutes, they still couldn't crack the top 100. Yes, those are situations where I'd roll the dice a little bit. But when there's still dudes on the board, and we didn't know Norman Powell was going to play big minutes, so it's not fair to talk about that one. But when there's still guys on the board that we figure have a shot at big minutes, and if they get there, they're a fantasy value, or hell, a guy like Rashawn Holmes, who even they don't need big minutes, they have fantasy value, those guys have got to go to your team first. They simply have to. They simply have to before you roll the dice on someone that has this ultra-low probability of actually knocking it. 
We'll put a pin in this one for now. Uh, Detroit, what a weird team, man. We'll, we'll keep a close eye on things. Obviously, everything changes if they don't bring back Christian Wood. The whole team readjusts because at that point, I, I, legitimately, I don't think they'd have a center on their roster if they don't bring him back because Don Maker's a free agent and uh, John Hansen's a free agent. And so then what are you doing? You playing Blake Griffin at the five? That's not great. I'm going to assume they give Christian Wood whatever he's asking for. That, that'll be our assessment here for now. But who the hell knows? Maybe they end up with some other wank center to come in and play 28 minutes a game, and we have to readjust everything. Because if Wood's not there, what if they ended up signing sort of a low-usage center? Like, what if Don Maker came back and was their starting center? Number one, yeah, he's probably worth a look at that point. But number two, that's way more shots for Blake and Kennard and Rose and everybody else. Because Wood, if he's signed, is going to take some shots. So we got to assess this from a usage standpoint. In any event, uh, tomorrow we'll turn our attention to the Atlantic Division. We'll start our, our roundup on the last five teams on this post-mortem tour of the NBA. Uh, Friday we'll talk to Brandon Marcus, and that'll loop us back around through to the start of next week when, geez, what are we going to do without the last dance? We'll just have to wait and see. By the way, news breaking while recording this show. It's not huge, but it's not nothing. Uh, Shams, the Shams, tweeting that the NBA seems to be closing in on Orlando as the top choice for where to resume the NBA season if indeed they go that direction. The Orlando Disney property is the, quote, clear frontrunner for the return-to-play site. Sources telling Shams and Sam Amick of The Athletic. So keep an eye on that. Uh, seems to have passed Las Vegas as the lead dog. Even if it doesn't happen, this is not nothing. Remember when Keith Smith wrote that article almost a month ago saying that Orlando was the spot if they wanted to do it? Prescient. Prescient stuff. This is big. I mean, I know that you could argue that it doesn't really mean anything that anybody is moving out in front of anything else. But the fact that these little bits of information are leaking, these are important. These are Every leak that we get right now is on purpose. This is from people who want us to know that good things are happening. And they want to keep putting pressure on the league to come back by saying, by leaking to someone like Shams, you know that's hitting everybody. Hey, we're getting close to, to choosing Orlando as the place. You know he's putting that out, and then the few people that are like, ah, darn it, I didn't really want to go this far. What if, what if we then found out that there were a couple of holdouts? You think they could stand up to that pressure when everybody knows they're closing in on a place to play? Gets tougher. Still could, but gets tougher. So cool stuff here at the end of the podcast. Orlando might be our site. Guess it doesn't matter that California's opening itself up to sports if, <laughs> on the NBA standpoint. Uh, but... Um, not nothing. Hit me up. Hit me up. Let's talk. Come here. Come work for us at HoopBall. At Dan Baspers on Twitter. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. Tomorrow, we'll figure it out. I'll roll a five-sided die to see where we start in the Atlantic Division. Thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy your Wednesday. Talk to you tomorrow. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.